0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While not a panacea for all of the challenges facing the grocery industry, one stakeholder argues a less is more approach in 2023 may help the ongoing burdens of inflation, supply chain woes, and labor shortages, as well as rapidly shifting shopper preferences that are intensifying competition. Earlier this month, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics revealed food prices continue to climb, outpacing the overall consumer price index to reach a staggering high of 12.4% compared to last October. And while this upward momentum may be slowing, It likely won't stop anytime soon, based on the most recent producer price index, which showed wholesale food prices paid by manufacturers are up a whopping 10.4% year-over-year in October, and 25.9% over pre-pandemic levels reported in February 2020. Thanks in part to stimulus funds, which have since dried up, many consumers have continued to spend despite higher prices. But recent research suggests that may be changing. With 84.51 degrees, November Consumer Digest survey revealing 39% of shoppers are buying fewer groceries and 61% are cutting back on non-essentials like snacks and candy. Others are reducing how much they spend on staples like dairy, deli, produce, and frozen food. So as consumers look for ways to save on their grocery bills, they increasingly will be looking for deals and ways to save on everyday items. They likely will continue to turn to new brands and retail banners, pushing industry players to make tough decisions about pricing, promotions, product assortment, and which services they offer and which services they discontinue as they struggle to balance consumer needs and basic business requirements. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Stefan Kalb, the co-founder and CEO of the AI Predictive Shopper and Automated Ordering Service Shelf Engine, argues the answer to all of these challenges, in most cases, is to simplify. He explains this means cutting back on SKUs and labor-intensive services and jobs to focus only on what consumers need and are actually able and willing to buy. And while this approach may sound unsavory, he says it's unavoidable because the worst of inflation for food is yet to come. So anyone following the Labor Department's monthly CPI and PPI updates will have noticed a general slowdown in the overall upward trajectory of input costs and finished good prices, except when it comes to food, the prices for which continue to climb much higher and at a faster rate than other categories. Kalb explains that this dichotomy stems from the food industry's attempt to shield consumers from the full brunt of conflation in real time, creating a latency that will require longer to resolve.
1: So the reason why we are going to see continued inflation with food, even as inflation may kind of stabilize in the rest of the economy, is this problem of latency. And there is latency in the food industry because... Um, there is this desire um, to absorb the shock and to put the inflation um, little by little onto the consumer so I'll give you an example Um, say I'm a supplier and I sell bread to a grocery store and all of a sudden my wheat um, prices have gone up and my labor price has gone up well I want to go to um, my retailer and say listen My price has gone up. I'm um, making way less money than I was before. Um, I need to increase um, my prices by 30%. Retailer says, whoa, 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 that's absolutely crazy. You can't increase your prices by 30%. If you increase your prices by 30%, then I need to increase my prices by 30%. Then we're going to lose consumers, and that's a bad thing. And so the vendor says, okay, well, I'll increase my prices by 10% today, um, but just know that more price increases will come because I'm making less money. And so the grocer says, okay, well, if you increase by 10%, um, I'm going to only increase by 5% so that um, I don't put as much of an impact on the, on the consumer. And so both sides, and you can kind of imagine this whole supply chain doing the exact same thing, um, are doing this kind of... Um, let's go ahead and and, and, um, absorb a bit of the impact um, with the eventual goal of getting back to a certain level of parity to the margins that we're at before. And with um, this kind of approach, the reality is we haven't really seen the height of what inflation is going to do in the food industry. Now, the good news about this kind of approach is that um, it's not like we hit consumers overnight With these price hikes, um, this ability, this this kind of approach, gives the retailers and the vendors uh, an opportunity to approach this with different strategies. So, could we produce smaller loaves of bread that are going to be, um, you know, cheaper to produce? Could we produce fewer SKUs so that would be more optimized? Could we produce um, things in a more efficient way, and so on and so forth? And so it buys you a little bit of time. But at the end of the day, the reality is that there's only so many things that the vendor and the retailer can do to make products cheaper for the consumer. And let's be honest, most of those have already been attempted or tried. It's not like there are some big things that are left out there um, to try to make them cheaper. So the likely scenario is we're going to continue to see uh, inflation on food products as this kind of absorption strategy that they've been doing um, goes on for some time until they get back to the margin parodies that they need to get to. Um, there's only so much they can do because both, uh, both the retailer and the vendor operate with such tight margins. It's not like they have much of an option anyway. They can absorb for a little bit of time. They can absorb within certain categories, but at the end of the day, You know, we're talking about, you know, in grocery, the average net margin of a grocer is 1.9%, right? So it's not like they can make um, some big ground here by giving up their margin. Um, They just don't have that much space for it. And the question is, okay, well, what really happened there? Like, why are we hitting these inflation points that are so drastic? And, you know, there's a lot of questions around that economically, but in the food industry, the one thing that we know that is absolutely true is that the source ingredients became more expensive, and the shortage of labor made it so that um, people had to pay more um, for labor in these facilities to be able to um, get people to work. And so we're in this, in this place where we've had such incredible whiplash of, um, you know, from the supply chain and what's happening with COVID to now the inflation and the inflation. So products that have um, high levels of labor invested in them. So you take a look at things that are um, on the perimeter of the store um, that have a lot of high-touch kind of things to them. So, um, you know, some sort of prepared meats um, or a cheese counter that does their own cut cheeses or cut produce, um, or most anything in the deli. Um, those items, because they follow this increase in, in pressure from um, labor, they're they're going to see some pretty meaningful uh, price increases. Um, and unfortunately, I think it's going to be quite uncomfortable. Um, it's probably going to make regulators start to think that they should intervene at some point because um, I think prices will go up significantly um, for those high touch items.
0: But it isn't just prices for high-touch items that will continue to rise. They are going up across grocery categories, which Calb argues is prompting shoppers to pull back on what they put in their cards and retailers to reduce what they stock.
1: We're going to have a lot more people shifting to um, some of the cheaper products within the same um, category they're looking for. And it's really up for the brand's to entertain, you know, selling some more value products to be able to continue to capture their customers. Um, But that's going to be, I mean, we're already seeing this in in our data, and we know that um, our retailers are seeing this in basket data very quickly. um, In a matter of a few months, we've been seeing consumers shifting um, their buying patterns who have been very loyal customers um, and been shifting their buying patterns. Um, to get their basket size on the dollar level um, back down to, to what's um, more sustainable for them. So I think the one thing that we're going to see is that a lot of retailer strategies have been, in the last decade or so, um, leaning on um, skew proliferation. And so you can see some of the categories that have had um, a really large skew proliferation And that's been really costly for the retailer and costly for the consumer. What I think they will do in terms of um, readjustment is um, what we call skew rationalization, is um, you're going to have this big kind of pressure on the margin. It's going to go to the category managers. Category managers are going to have a hard decree from management at the grocery level. That's going to say, hey, you need to make sure you hit this kind of margin, and they're going to cut out the SKUs that don't make them that margin. So I think we're going to see a reduction in terms of um, the number of SKUs that go out to be able to mitigate um, that kind of a pressure. I say this, and I'm going to be totally speaking out of both sides um, of my mouth on this one, but at the end of the day, um, this is also a means Um, for them to lose market share. So there are chances that they go to um, other categories where they push on more SKUs to try to to gain um, uh, customer uh, traction on that. Um, But this is a really costly place. I mean, generally speaking, in the U.S., um, grocery stores are over skewed, and it costs them a lot of money.
0: While this reduction will hit manufacturers of all sizes offering all types of products, Kalb acknowledged that younger emerging brands may suffer more as retailers are less willing to take a chance on products or companies that consumers are not already familiar with unless it offers a value proposition. But this doesn't mean that startups are out of luck, simply that they may need to rethink their business model on how they structure sales agreements with retailers
1: we've observed uh, a handful of, I'll uh, call them younger companies, um, some of them startups, up some more. Um, some of them have been around a little bit uh, some time but don't have the, um, the size of some of the um, large brands out there. So what we've witnessed is um, if they're offering a value-based product, this is the perfect time to do it, right? Something in bulk that's cheaper or, something that's a smaller size, that's a lower dollar volume. But generally speaking, um, if they're doing something that is value-based, um, it's going to pay off for them. The second thing that we've seen in more and more agreements where um, they enter in with the retailer to give more benefit to the retailer to be able to carry the product. So one of the things that we're seeing um, come up more and more are shrink caps. So shrink caps basically say – hey, if you're not able to sell X amount of my product, then I'll go ahead and buy it back from you. Um, And that's becoming apparent as retailers are saying, you know, I don't want to take the risk on your product. I'm already suffering from enough issues um, in terms of my consumer changing their buying patterns. So unless you give me a screaming deal on your product, I'm not really um, super interested in taking it. And I think there's going to be more instances of that happening um, in the next year or so, that's going to create, um, you know, uh, well, it's going to create pressures on, on the brands, but those are going to be the ones that really survive, um, are going to get creative on that front.
0: Just as consumers are gravitating to products with better value proposition, Calb says they're also gravitating to retailers that can offer more savings, a phenomenon that increasingly is driving higher income consumers who make upwards of $100,000 a year or more to shop alongside lower-income consumers at Walmart. The result is a more competitive landscape that will require retailers to adopt creative solutions to lower prices and continue to drive foot traffic.
1: So Walmart's in a little bit of a different space um, than, say, like a Whole Foods. And the reason is because, let's say I really like, I really like organics, but, and I like to shop at Whole Foods, but I can't afford it anymore. I might start shopping at Walmart, and I'm going to start buying more and more organic from Walmart because I can get an equivalent product for cheaper there. And that's, that's a very different scenario because Walmart's going to say, oh, well, I have a bifurcated um, customer base that is growing in some of these you know, um, more high-end products. Well, the reality is that's working for them because it's a growing category for them. Um, Interestingly, Target's actually very much in the same in the same space. Um, but you have the um, kind of uh, you know nicer grocery stores that are suffering from that and who are losing customers. Probably the best example um, of that is if you take the L.A. market. The L.A. market is a fascinating grocery market. And by definition, I would say it's probably the, the most competitive one. Um, you just have a lot of really nice grocery stores. And... Um, they're competing for market share in a very aggressive way. Um, well, what's happening in the LA market, which I think will um, uh, manifest itself throughout the rest of the country, is that all these um, really nice grocery stores are trying to gain these customers, but they're just too expensive at the end of the day, and um, those customers are going to um, more uh, value-based groceries. Um, to be able to buy an equivalent product. And um, I think we will see um, the revival of, you know, and the growth of these nice um, uh, grocery stores in terms of their sales numbers go up when the economy starts picking up again. But in the meantime, um, people are going to be really careful with every dollar they spend, and they just can't spend it um, on, you know, the fanciest tomato at the grocery store they're going to go to a Walmart. Your value base is sitting in a really great place because you're just going to naturally get a lot more customers coming to you than you were before. Um, you know, a couple things to note on that front that are pretty amazing plays that we're seeing out there. Um, I'll give two examples. One is Target, and the other one is Dollar General. Um, now, you're probably going to be surprised that I'm even bringing up a, a company like Dollar General and while we're talking about grocery. But Dollar General has an exploding grocery business. And so does Target. You ask yourself, like, okay, well, we're talking about a lot of these stores being in rural communities, and actually a lot of them being in much metropolitan areas as well, um, but they offer a product um, for a lot cheaper than your next-door neighbor, which could be a Whole Foods, the Sprouts, or whatever kind of um, nice grocery store there is around there. And it's working. Like, their grocery strategy is working. And so um, they're going to be in a position. Many of those um, uh, kinds of, of grocers are going to be in a really great position going into 2023. So then the question is, if I'm a Sprouts or a Whole Foods, or even you know talking about the the, the biggest brand, in terms of the highest end, it's like an Erewhon, How do I make sure that I keep my customer um, coming to visit my store? And at the end of the day a lot of your customers are going to be dependent on, on price. And those stores will have to offer um, some more reasonable priced items to keep people coming in. And that's just going to be a big shift um, for them. So if I were a value-based grocer today, man, I would, I'd be buying a lot of banners. Um, I would be you know, getting a lot of promos out there, trying to win over new customers that now could be you know, a new entrenched customer that you could have. If I'm a kind um, better-for-you nice grocery store, um, I would be looking at um, either having a high-low approach um, to pricing or um, doing uh, EDLP on certain kinds of, of um, categories um, or looking to basically get my customer to perceive at least that I have some really great values in the store. Um, But that's going to be just too important. There is just a huge part of um, the country that either they actually um, have less income or they perceive they do, and they're just going to make more conservative uh, buying choices.
0: This shift will test strategies like that of Sprout's farmer's market, which recently removed itself from the price-cutting war in favor of offering more exclusive or limited products that shoppers will pay more for because they can't find them elsewhere. But Kalb says he is dubious of this proposition, noting that as household budgets continue to tighten, the total at the end of the receipt will become more important than recreating a restaurant experience at home or trying something novel. Kalb predicts that this will push retailers to rethink their assortment, not only to offer less expensive items, but also less items overall, starting with those in the center of the store.
1: Now, I think we will continue to see is the fact that um, Center Store is going to continue to shrink. And it's going to continue to shrink just because, at the end of the day, it's really costly for grocers um, to stock Center Store. They do it because they just want you as a customer to come in. Um, but at the end of the day, like you know, Amazon is going to be able to um, uh, outperform on, on margin for many of those items. Um, and, you know, some of the... Um, uh, retailers like Costco um, are going to be able to greatly outperform on those, um, and my guess is that we're at a place where um, many grocers are going to start um, radically reducing their um, their center store um, because they're just not making money on it. It probably is not you know something that I think everybody wants to hear, um, but a skew rationalization is a really healthy thing to do. And for our industry to be able to evolve in the next phase, um, you know, kind of more, um, I guess you could say in, in a meta way, um, we, we need a skew rationalization for for grocery overall, um, which is we need to stop doing some of the things that are really costly. We need to innovate um, and work on the things that, that really are going to move the industry forward And we need a little bit of a pressure cooker scenario for us to be able to to do that. And, um, you know, I kind of go back to a a Winston Churchill quote, says, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And this is certainly that kind of an example. Um, Let's not let this crisis go to waste. Inflation, uh, whiplash in terms of um, everything that's been happening to the, the food supply chain, all, you know, very necessary for us to evolve as an industry, to be able to achieve less waste, uh, a greater consumer experience, and uh, a more efficient industry. So fundamentally, um, I'm excited because um, this kind of pressure, I think, will deliver some, some meaningful results for the industry. As a consumer experience, um, unfortunately, I think it will mean that we're all going to pay more money for groceries. Um, but I think we are going to um, have a, a grocery store that is... Um, getting more and more aligned with our values as they're going to be looking for, you know, cutting costs. Um, but overall, I think for the industry, this is this is going to be a very healthy episode.
0: Another area where Cal predicts that there will be downsizing due to inflation is within e-commerce, which is a bit of a controversial viewpoint that many retailers and brands are leaning heavily into.
1: Balance of power has shifted a bit. So whereas, you know, um, during the pandemic, all of a sudden you had the Instacarts of the world, the DoorDash of the world, who just wielded an enormous amount of power, um, now that's readjusting a bit as um, the uh, online delivery um, is, is um, going down, um, which, um, you know, I think all of us expected it to just forever go up, um, is going down a little bit, and then um, we're going to see, I think, a um, phase where people are going to ask themselves, well, am I really willing to pay um, a delivery fee for these products when you know that could mean that delivery fee could mean I could buy an extra couple of products at the store? So um, my guess is that we're going to see um, a little bit of a retreat here, and my guess is also that a lot of the grocers are going to start making some more creative plays here. Rather than relying on um, some of the major tech partners, so one thing that I would look at very specifically is what's going to happen with um, the Instacart and Kroger deal. Um, You know, is Kroger going to make a big play here, and are they going to say, "Hey, I want to readjust my um, uh, my online strategy," Um, and is that going to happen with some of the other um, major grocers as well?
0: Caleb is quick to note that the shift away from e-commerce is not a shift away from technology. Quite the opposite. He argues that investing in technology, especially in the back of the store, will become essential in the coming years to effectively and efficiently meet changing consumer demands.
1: I actually think the more interesting and more exciting thing that's going to happen in the next three to five years, but very definitely in the next year, is the evolution of what's happening in the back of the store in the trucks in the warehouses, um, that's where the technology is very antiquated. So we're looking at um, technology um, there that we we're seriously talking about. Where was implemented um, over 30 years ago, right? Um, and this is something from personal experience because this is directly what Shelf Engine does um, in um, uh, you know at meaningful scale, which is um, we keep doing these implementations with grocers that are saying, well, you know, my IT team is very focused on converting and changing um, to this new database. And, um, you know, here, take a look at this kind of database. And it is very, very dated with a lot of issues. So what I think you're going to see with um, grocers is that they're going to invest in IT um, to um, update their uh, back-end systems in a major way, and then invest in automation. Now, the the irony in all of this is for them to deploy their consumer-facing technologies, they're dependent on making sure that everything on the back end is functioning well, and that's just not the case today. Um, So for them to open up their consumer um, strategies, they're going to have to make a big shift uh, there. The one that we're closest to and that we're seeing um, happening very quickly, which, you know, we're generally excited about because this is our core thesis, is the fact that grocers want to go to automated ordering because um, labor has been expensive in stores um, and they're basically looking at ways that they can reduce cost as much as possible. Um, so why not, you know, have increased sales, reduce shrink, and then not have to pay for that additional labor um, for, for ordering and ordering is starting to take a front and center stage for many grocers. Where, whereas you know a few years ago it was an overlooked feature in their in their entire technology stack, now is kind of a, a key strategy for them um, as they look to make money in 2023, perform um, on on their results, and recognize that um, it's kind of the crux of any other strategy that they want to employ. Um, I think this time of crisis is going to be um, the the ordering strategy is going to be a very large component of it. And I think you're going to see a lot of retailers lean in very heavily on this. Um, It's certainly exciting for us, um, but I think it's going to be something that's going to be shown in the industry uh, in a very, very big way. Um, Whereas, you know, I think um, category managers um, and people in-store um, have been used to using kind of more spreadsheets and, and paper and pencil, you're going to see a really big shift here. And that's going to be exciting for the results in this industry, which I think we're going to see a, a continued reduction of waste um, in a much more efficient store. I think we'll probably be, if, if we're having a conversation a year from now, um, talking about um, what happened for 2023, it's going to be a, a big shift in the industry. So that's that's my um, that's my big prediction that I'm going to leave you with um, but that's, uh, that's the part that I'm quite excited about.
0: Listeners who are interested in learning more about how to better manage the back of the store with help from technology and using AI to potentially better predict inventory and orders can learn more about Shelf Engine at ShelfEngine.com, where they can also find the company's recently published ebook, The IO Ahead Shelf Engine Grocery Outlook, which digs deeper into some of the challenges in 2023 that we discussed today. And we'll bring strategies forward that groceries can deploy to combat them. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this installment and will join me again next week. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.